Welcome to Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. You probably have a lot of curiosity about your family history, but not a lot of time. And that's why I created this podcast. In each episode, I'm going to give you the tools that you need to uncover your family tree in quick and easy ways. Last week, we talked about how to go about contacting other researchers and relatives that we find through posting our family trees online. I like to call it genealogical cold calling. And it was a genealogical cold call that brought me and my cousin Carolyn Ender together as online research partners. And as you heard last week, she has a knack for quickly connecting with folks that she doesn't know over the telephone in ways that puts them at ease and brings to light the information that she's looking for. And in today's episode, I'm going to play part two of my interview with her. I called this one relative, and she was just not real forthcoming at first, but I did ask about pictures, and that is one thing definitely that I do try to ask for. Uh, I say, you know, do you or does anyone else in your family have any family pictures, sometimes I will specify a picture of a particular person. I also ask if they or anyone else in the family has a family Bible that might contain family information. And this one person in, in particular did mention a picture. She said, well, we have this picture of this person and it's been hanging on the wall for years and years. And she basically expressed that their part of the family did not have an interest in it. And she actually offered the, the portrait to me. I had been asked by some of his relatives to help them find a sibling that had been placed for adoption back in the 1950s. And they had always wondered what had happened to this child, you know, where he was. And, and they had a little bit of information to go on. But um, it was kind of a, a mutual thing of them asking me to help and, and me volunteering to help. And it did require some effort. And of course, I won't go into all of the details, but in the end, I was able to locate this person. And that was probably one of the hardest, but one of the most exciting phone calls for me. It was kind of scary to call this person and uh, be the one to tell him that uh, I was connected with his birth family and that his birth family very much wanted to um, get in touch with him. It ended up being a wonderful, wonderful experience. I can't say it's the easiest thing in the world to do because it's not, but it's like many other things in our lives. We have to take that first step and then the rewards are just enormous. In our second segment, we're going to pull it all together in a review of the 14 steps to genealogical cold calling. In our last episode, we started a two-part series on genealogical cold calling, and Carolyn Ender, a seasoned pro at making cold calls that further research, started us off with the first seven steps in the cold calling process. They're identifying the person you want to call, locating the person's phone number, preparing ahead of time, working up the nerve to make the call, 
introducing ourselves, starting at the beginning, and interacting with reluctant relatives. In this episode, we pick up where we left off, and I start by asking Carolyn what we should be doing while we're making this call. And here's my conversation with her. Now we've got the conversation flowing. We've um, kind of warmed them up. We've, we've shared a little bit about ourselves and about our memories. And what are you doing during the phone call? Are you trying to, you know, jot down notes on paper? Are you putting them in your database? How do you keep tabs of, of what's being discussed? Well, I found for me that it is a necessity to take notes during the conversation because you never know when that person may throw out a date or a name or the name of a town, something that is vital to your research. And I just feel like it's very important, at least for me, to take notes. Sometimes I do that by hand. There have been other times where I will, uh, if I can see we're really going to get into a, a, a good conversation, I will use my speakerphone and I may be sitting at my computer, open up a Word document, and I will just start typing out my notes right as we're talking. And, of course, later I have to go back and edit the notes and fill in a lot of the gaps. But definitely, for me, it's very important to take notes during the conversation. Well, and I've, like I said, I've been the recipient of copies of some of your notes, and I've always been so impressed with so much of the detail. And it sounds like you you don't risk it to memory, that you are jotting as you go. And I suppose you could even use like a hands-free speakerphone or, or you said a speakerphone or like a headset maybe? Uh, sure. That's another option that would be great. Terrific. Now, if by chance you make the call and you get a voicemail, what do you do? I mean, do you go ahead and leave them a message or do you just keep trying back? There have been some times when I have not left a message but with so many people having caller ID nowadays and ways of screening their phone calls, they're probably going to know that you called anyway. I feel like it's probably more courteous just to go ahead and leave a brief message. Just tell them my name, where I live, why I'm calling. I may not necessarily ask them to call me back. Uh, sometimes that's just almost a bit too much. Um, but I may say something like, well, I, I would really like to visit with you about the family history, and I will try to reach you at a later time. And I think that's probably very courteous, because oftentimes we are calling long distance, and since we're the ones initiating the call, I guess it makes sense for us to at least take the first call and and cover the cost of it and help them to feel more comfortable with that ongoing relationship. Right. I, I think that that is the most courteous thing to do. I know that there are obviously some questions that you've put together before you make the call that are really specific about that family line. Um, but are there any kind of must-ask questions that you pretty much cover with everybody? I try to confirm some information that I already have just to really make sure that I am on the right trail. You know, ask birth dates, even though I feel fairly confident about the dates that I have, you know, I will say, can you confirm that Grandma Jones was born on such and such and that she lived in this town? Things like that. And then also the person I'm speaking with, I like to go ahead and ask their birth date if I don't already have that information. Great. And then how about things such as um, photographs or family Bibles? Now, wasn't there... Someone that you called, I remember, on um, our wise side of the family, and you ended up with 
quite a beautiful color portrait. Yes, that was that was just a real exciting thing that happened. And uh, quite honestly, that was one of the toughest calls that I probably have ever made in all the the. I call them cold calls that I've made. I call this one um, relative, and she was just not real forthcoming at first. But I did ask about pictures, and that is one thing definitely that I do try to ask for. Uh, I say, you know, do you or does anyone else in your family have any family pictures? Sometimes I will specify a picture of a particular person. I uh, also ask if they or anyone else in the family has a family Bible that might contain family information. And this one person in, in particular did mention a picture. She said, well, we have this picture of this person, and it's been hanging on the wall for years and years. And she basically expressed that their part of the family did not have an interest in it. And she actually offered the the portrait to me. And um, my husband and I made a little trip one weekend, um, kind of a long holiday weekend, and we were just really blessed to receive this portrait of um, one of my ancestors. So that was really exciting. Oh, I remember when that happened. And, and I just think cold calls are one of the only ways you have, uh, you know, in addition to talking to regular family members, to unearth those photographs that otherwise you might never know about. Exactly. And I I always try to put people at ease and I tell them, you know, I'm not asking for your photographs. There have been a few times when I've just come out and said that, you know, I'm not asking for you to give me your photographs. I would only be interested in a copy. I really try to put them at ease. And I have had people send me copies. I have actually obtained a few originals, including this, this one portrait. But in general, um, I've been really fortunate in people being generous in sending copies of their photographs. Oh, that's absolutely, that would be so exciting. If there's no other reason to make a call, that would be a, a wonderful reason. Well, you've told us you, you, she was one of the toughest calls that you made, just it was a little more difficult. Any other great stories of inspire us with some of your success stories? Um, any great call that kind of sticks out in your mind and you think, oh, I'm so glad I made that one? Well, I will share one brief story. This was related to my husband's genealogy. I had been asked by some of his relatives to help them find a sibling that had been placed for adoption back in the 1950s. And they had always wondered what had happened to this child, you know, where he was, and and they had a little bit of information to go on. But um, it was kind of a a mutual thing of them asking me to help and, and me volunteering to help. And it did require some effort. And, of course, I won't go into all of the details, but in the end, I was able to locate this person. And oh, wow. that was probably one of the hardest but one of the most exciting phone calls for me. It was kind of scary to call this person and uh, be the one to tell him that uh, I was connected with his birth family and that his birth family very much wanted to um, get in touch with him. It ended up being a wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, but it, it was uh, a bit scary for me as well. 
I can imagine, but but good for you for doing that. I mean, that's exciting. So as we're wrapping up these phone calls, and hopefully we've we've had a great success story, do you have any suggestions for ways to follow up or, or how you wrap things up with someone like this that you've made a call to? I try to always ask them for their mailing address, and it's very possible I've already gotten their mailing address, maybe from another relative or from um, a website on the Internet, but I want to be sure that I do have the, the correct address, and so if all else fails, I will have a way to com- uh, communicate with them. If it's a person that seems to um, use the Internet or seems likely to have an email address, I'll ask them for their email address and just let them know that I would like to be able to continue conversing with them in the future, let them know if I find out any more exciting news about the family history that I would like to share it with them. I also offer to give them my phone number and my email and mailing address and encourage them that if they come up with more information on the family or um, if one day they're cleaning out the attic and come across some wonderful old family photographs to be sure and let me know. So that's usually how I kind of wrap it up just to let them know that I would be pleased to hear from them again and give them my name and, and my information as well. Great idea. And I know when you and I were getting together on this topic, you mentioned even putting the person's birthday on your calendar and, you know, making sure you send them a birthday card the next time just as kind of a follow up reminder and a thank you. And I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, I really do um, like that, and I have followed up with um, several family members that way. In fact, there's one in particular, she and I exchange birthday cards. We've been doing this for the past two or three years, and uh, I get a Christmas card from her every year. And so even though she's kind of what I call a long-lost cousin, she's really a newfound friend. So that, that's been really kind of fun. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Carolyn... I can't imagine if Carolyn Ender called me on the phone, which she did one day. (laughs) I just can't imagine anybody not being so thrilled to talk to you. You're always such a dear, sweet woman, and I really appreciate you taking the time to um, encourage the rest of us to make those calls. Any last ideas or inspirational thoughts you want to give us to, to help us take that leap? Well, I can't say it's the easiest thing in the world to do because it's not. But it's like many other things in our lives. We have to take that first step, and then the rewards are just enormous. And uh, I still get nervous. In fact, this afternoon, I called a gentleman that I had talked with a few years ago and had not been in touch with him since then. And I just wanted to call again and say, oh, by the way, just wanted to see how you were doing. And we chit-chatted for a little while, and then I asked him, have you come across any family pictures or have you heard anything else about the family? And the truth was that he had not. He had no more information to offer me. But it was good. You never know. Uh, but yet I, I felt a bit nervous when I was calling because he's not someone that I really know and I hadn't talked to him in a few years. But once I made the call, I was very pleased to have that reconnection with him. So we have the the big benefit of gaining potential family history information. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you agree that it's that kind of the benefit we don't think about as often, which is our whole family is expanding and our friendships 
And sometimes you just meet the nicest folks, whether or not they can help you fill in a, a database or not. So I just want to thank you so much, Carolyn, for talking with us today and sharing your ideas. I know we'll put them to good use. Oh, well, I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to talk, Lisa. And um, it's great to hear your voice again. You too. And next time we'll talk about the rodents and the herrings and make some more progress in our family. It sounds great. Great. Thanks. We're back, and I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. I hope by now that you're feeling empowered to do some genealogical cold calling of your own. Like anything, it gets easier with practice, I promise. So let's recap the 14 steps in the genealogical cold calling process. Number one was pretty straightforward. Uh, the first thing you need to do is to identify a person that you want to call to ask research questions of. But of course, number two is where it can get a little bit tricky. You need to locate that person's phone number. Now, if you're able to make contact via email, that's great. But in many cases, you might identify a living person or a researcher that you don't have an email address for, and you're going to have to track down their telephone number. Carolyn and I mentioned a couple of good websites in the interview. Um, they were whoware.com, google.com, people.yahoo.com, and anywho.com. But there are a couple of more that you might want to add to that list. Um, you might also want to try peoplesearch.com, whitepages.com, and one called melissadata.com. And I'll have those website addresses for you in the show notes for this episode. And even if you think you know the town where they live, try searching the entire metro area. Sometimes there's an option for that. And you could do that just in case, you know, they live in the outskirts or maybe the borders have changed recently. And also keep in mind that if you're looking for a woman, she may have remarried and taken a new surname. So if you don't find her under the name that you expect, try just searching her first name, particularly if it's not a real common first name or if it's a fairly small community. And don't forget, you can also try and track down their number through other relatives or researchers. And finally, if all else fails, consider posting a message on a message board for the surname that you're researching, as well as the individual surname that you're trying to get in contact with. And uh, you could post a message and saying that you want to get in contact with them and asking them to email you. Once you've located their phone number, the next step in the process is to prepare ahead for making the call. Every tough job gets just a little bit easier when you do your homework first. So some things you might want to keep in mind are to take into account uh, a possible difference in time zones when you're making telephone calls. It's easy to uh, wake up somebody on the West Coast if you're calling from the East Coast and uh, I personally try not to call before 9 a.m. their time or after 8 p.m. Try to choose times uh, when you're also not too rushed. You never know where how things will go or how long the call may take, and so um, you're not going to want to squeeze it in when you only have a short time period to work with. 
Do a brief review of the family that you're researching so that it's fresh in your mind. Go back over your genealogy database, get reacquainted with the names, the dates, and the kinds of questions that you have. And make note of specific questions that you want to ask. Uh, you're just going to want to knock yourself in the head if it turns out you hang up the phone and you realize that one burning question didn't get asked. And have your genealogy software program open or um, have written notes right there at your fingertips so that you've got it to work with. Number four was getting up the nerve to call. Remind yourself how valuable this person's information could be to your research. If he or she is quite elderly, remember that none of us are going to be around forever, so you need to make the call today. And if you've taken the time to do number three and to prepare ahead for making your call, you're going to feel more in control and ready to go for it. So that will also help kind of give you that courage. If you start to get a little bit weak in the knees, do what Carolyn does and say to yourself, I can do this and this is important because you know it really is. It's going to be important to your entire family and to future generations. And be positive and remember, all they can do is just say, no, thank you. And that's okay. No one ever died from somebody saying no, thank you when they called somebody. Number five was introducing yourself. Now, when I finally make the call and the person answers, I like to immediately identify myself with my first name and my last name and also give them the name of the town and the state where I live. It may sound simple, but a case of nerves has been known to uh, throw even the most seasoned genealogist into a torrent of apologizing for interrupting and a long, drawn-out explanation about why they're calling, and then they end up totally forgetting to even identify themselves. Then next, you can tell them the family connection that you share, kind of give them a bearing of of how you fit into their world and tell them who referred you to them if somebody did or how you located them. And you might want to just write down a couple of these things in a couple of sentences just to make sure that you get off on the right foot. It will help the other person feel more at ease about continuing the conversation with you, even though you really are a stranger to them. Now, step number six was about how to deal with those who you call that may be reluctant to talk to you. Be ready to share what you've learned and to share your own memories of a relative that you might have in common with them. Carolyn also recommended mentioning something of particular interest in the family tree that might pique their interest. And in these cases, I found that it can actually work really well to offer to mail them some information, particularly if they're hesitant, and then say, you know, when you receive this, I'll give you a couple of days and then I'll call you back after you have a chance to look at it. And that way they can kind of sort it out in, in their heads and, and get their bearings too before you get together and talk. In today's episode, we talked about step number seven, which was what to do during the call. And of course, you'll want to take notes during the phone call. And Carolyn mentioned trying a headset, which would free up your hands, which would be great. And I think handwriting is actually better than typing your notes while you're talking to them because it can be kind of distracting or even a little bit intimidating if they hear that typing keypad going as they're talking, you know, like you're recording everything that they're saying. If you do have a way to record the call, that's even better because then you don't have to take notes and you can kind of focus all your attention on the conversation and transcribe the recording later. Also, be sure and take the opportunity to not just try and get new information, but also to confirm information that you already have just to make sure that it's correct. Now, number eight was about what to do if nobody answers and the call goes to voicemail. Seems simple, but there are a couple of ways you can go about it. 
If you get an answering machine, go ahead and leave a message stating your name and that, that you'd like to talk to them about the family history. And that would give them at least a chance to think about it and be ready for your call. Leave your phone number, but I would really recommend you telling them that you'll call them back at another time um, so that they don't feel the burden of having to make the long-distance phone call to you. And you might even want to leave your email address on the voicemail. So indeed, if they do live far away, they could email you and let you know their schedule. Be sure and keep track in your genealogy database each time you call and what messages that you leave. It can get really confusing if you're trying to make contact with a couple of different people. And having a log of those calls and messages that you've left can really help you keep on track. Step number nine was the must-ask questions. While you might have some specific research questions in mind, Carolyn had some really good questions that you should try to ask almost every time, such as, do you or anyone else in the family have any old photographs or a family Bible or any other particular record that you're looking for? And also, she mentioned to reassure the person that you'd only be interested in obtaining copies of the items or the pictures, and you're not trying to you know, get your hands on all the originals. Another good question to ask every relative that you talk to is, do you know anybody else in the family who's been doing family research? Um, they may not know much about the family, but they probably have an idea of who's out there who kind of keeps track of all that stuff. You may want to also ask for their permission to cite them as a source in anything that you print in the future, just as a courtesy. And finally, you might want to just come right out and ask, you know, is it okay with you if I keep in touch with you from time to time? Then it comes time for number 10, which is wrapping up the call. So here's a recap of Carolyn's wrap-up list. Ask for their mailing address and their email address. Offer to give them your address and phone number. And let them know that you'd be pleased to hear from them any time that they come across any other information, pictures, etc. Just keep planting that idea in their mind before you hang up the phone. Step number 11 was documenting the call. It's a really good idea to sit down at your computer or your notepad right away and make detailed notes about the phone conversation while it's still fresh in your mind. Be sure to include the person's name, address and phone number, and the date of the conversation. That's going to come in handy. Even if the person provided information that seems kind of questionable, include it anyway and just make notes and comments, you know, in your, for yourself about whether you think something needs to be checked out or not. And you might want to mark it in some way, uh, maybe with question marks or use a highlighter pen or something to remind you to go back and do more research on those specific points. At the bottom of the page, list the action items that come to mind that you want to follow up with based on the conversation. And before you do anything else, stop and enter their contact information into not only your genealogy database, but also your email contact list. It's really easy to forget to do this, but it can pay off big later if you discipline yourself and you take good care of your contacts list. Step number 12 is to enter the data into your genealogy database right away. This is a must. Do it right away while it's on your mind. Let me say that again. Enter the data into your genealogy database. This is a must. Do it right away while it's on your mind. I think you get my drift. <laughs> Number 13 is to create a to-do list or an action item list. Create action items based on what you learned. Ask yourself, what are the logical next steps to take considering what you've learned through this interview? The call is not the end result. It's a step in the research process, and it can really help us to make this list now while it's fresh in our minds. 
we all know that sometimes life gets in the way and you might not get right back to this particular research. But I guarantee that when you do, you'll be really glad to have this to-do list so that you don't have to go back and, you know, go through everything again and figure out where you left off. But rather, you can get right to work on those next steps. And our last genealogical cold calling item was number 14, and it's to do follow-up. Carolyn had some great ideas for easy ways to stay in touch with your newly made contact. You never know when a journal or a photograph is going to surface, and you'll want to be the first one that they think of when it does. So first, it's a great idea to send the person a written note or an email thanking them for taking the time to talk with you. If the person mentioned that they would uh, look for pictures or would look up something in a family Bible or something, be sure and mention that in your note to keep following up on that. Let them know that you'll still be interested in anything that they might have that would help you and that you'd be glad to pay any copying or expenses or postage. And again, offer to provide copies of your information or copies of pictures that you have. You never know. They might catch the genealogy bug and become your new research partner. Next, put their birthday on your calendar. This is particularly important if they were especially helpful to you. Send them a card on their birthday. It's another way of keeping the connection going and expressing that you really do appreciate all their help. A great little website for doing this is called Birthday Alarm at birthdayalarm.com. You can just enter their birth date and Birthday Alarm will send you a reminder email about a week ahead of their birthday and then a second reminder. I use it for all my friends and relatives, and it makes me look like I'm really on top of things. And finally, Carolyn says that she occasionally just makes follow-up phone calls to check in and see how they're doing, share any new family items that she's come across recently, and ask if they've heard anything or found anything new. Relationships are really key to genealogical success, and by following these 14 genealogical cold-calling strategies, you will find your research relationships multiplying. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the show. You'll find the show notes for this episode, which include all the links I've talked about at my website, genealogygems.com. And there you'll also discover a lot more tips and tools for finding your family history in my podcasts, the blog posts, books, and videos. Become a Genealogy Gems premium member, and you're also going to get access to exclusive content like my full-length video classes and the premium podcast episodes. We have a new one of those coming out every month. Now, if you have any questions about this episode, or if you'd like to share your experiences on how the podcast has impacted your own family history journey, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 925-272-4021 and we might just play it here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.